Welcome to 2HGM. I'm Cosmo the Fathead. I'm Dane the other Fathead. Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing role-playing games where we discuss our favorite hobby, share our thoughts with you, and even play some games. What will we be discussing today? I'm glad you asked. All right. Name, what will we be discussing today? None well, of you. Other name. None of you are who you say you are. Fathead. Fat what will we be discussing today? Other fathead. God. Oh boy. All right. Yeah. Episode sixty nine. For real. Nice, 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 nice. That's the chorus. Uh, so two headed game master, as you know, is the show you're listening to, um, and this is the auspicious episode sixty nine, and. We've got a fun activity planned for you with some guests. Um, guests, uh, why don't why don't y'all introduce yourself? Let's start with Cece because oh. you're the newest. I'm the newest guest. You have to say Cece. what head you are. Yeah, what, the... what head you are, and like, why are you even here? I guess I'm the head with the boobs. That's why I'm here. <laughs> 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 they needed a lady nice, voice. Nice, 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 nice. This is like our town. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it's the same thing. Is that all? Need any more info? Yeah, that's, that's fine. It. That'll do that's it. it. Boobs. All right. That's all. Let's do uh, Enzo. Uh, well, you ruined it, but I'm Enzo. Which head are you? I'm the. <laughs> I'm the penis head. Nice, 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 nice. This is a horny episode. This is a horny episode. Dumb, and the content of the episode is actually yeah. nothing like this horniness. But uh, I disagree. From the two pages, just I've wait till you hear my voice. <laughs> it's got me real sexy. <laughs> and I'm I'm Brian. I'm the no. He already did this head. <laughs> Um, nice. returning listeners oh, might recognize returning listeners will uh, will recognize Brian and Enzo Cece is new Cece is, uh, well, she's new to the show but an old friend of ours um, <laughs> old friend of mine and Dane's and Enzo's and wife of Brian nice, so. nice, 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 nice I knew them first <laughs> yeah, that's true and that connection is that's the fault of everything but i knew them best <laughs> so episode 69 dane what are we nice, nice, what are nice, we nice, delivering nice, 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 tonight nice, nice. for this auspicious and wonderfully numbered episode <laughs> it's real funny. well it's just it's just the number that goes after yeah. 68 you know it is 70 um which number nice 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 it's a um, new thing we haven't done before. Do you need this? I I will. Okay. So um, yeah, we're gonna read you a story now. Shut up and listen. Is it based in the afterlife that you, is now on sale and they can buy online? Yeah, but we usually do that at the end. And I like, know you, you do. Know, you guys bury the lead though. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's yes. a short story. You caught us. set in the afterlife universe, yeah. and we're gonna be reading it. We're gonna be doing a dramatic uh, reading of it this evening. So. Uh, buckle the fuck in, and we'll get started. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I'm already almost done. 
Hand me something in there, Denzo. Say my head. Oh, penis. Penis head. We Hand me there, penis. We can refer to each other by our head names from now on. I'll be butthead. <laughs> nice. Penis head. Go to go. Boob head. Boob head. All around the beachside village, the fires were lit. Meat was roasting, drink was flowing, and music was playing. The people of Rockwater were beginning to lose themselves in their revelry, and it was time for Grindel to go to work. From his hiding place in the woods overlooking the village, he made a last check of his equipment, primed his armor's combat systems, then got to his feet and began his walk towards the village. Agent Grindel was a field operative for Task Force Aesir, with a highly specialized role in the organization. Agent Grindel was deployed when the task force needed to inspire fear. To that end, he approached the wooden gates of Rockwater slowly, using the main road and making no effort to conceal himself from the two guards posted at the village entrance. He stomped heavily along the trail, past upturned boats, drying racks of fish, crab traps, and other debris common to lakeside villages in the region. He emerged from the fog-shrouded evening. A hulking figure in a powered exosuit covered in bulky armor plates and ornamented with skulls and jagged spikes taken from the carapaces of mutant crustaceans. A heavy bearskin cloak was draped across his shoulders and his helmet was a snarling armored mask with curled horns. The two guardsmen were big men in furs and scraps of armor, typical of the raider types of the Great Lakes, but distinguished by the wolf's heads draped over one shoulder of their armor. They started as Grindel appeared before them, but didn't run screaming, as Grindel was accustomed to. He put that down to the drinking they'd obviously been doing. One of them leaned forward on his spear and slurred. Who you, pal? Come for the party? <laughs> Your party offends the gods! Grindel roared, voice amplified through his helmet speakers. Before they could do more than jump back in fright, Grindel lashed out with his maul. It was a cruel piece of heavy steel piping, the head studded with shotgun shells instead of metal spikes. One shell went off as he struck the first guard, blasting the man's innards apart with buckshot and slamming him against the gatepost. His companion fumbled for the rifle slung across his back, but Grindel backhanded the man and sent him sprawling. I am the Fury! He bellowed as he bore down on the man. And I am the wrath of the gods! You have brought upon yourself! He made sure to give the terrified guards time to scramble away, and was not disappointed. The man struggled to his feet, whimpering with fear until he found the strength to run. He sprinted back into the village where the sounds of celebration had gone on interrupted to raise the alarm. Grindel took a moment at the gates to replace the spent shell from his shotgun mace, and casually tore down one of the stout wooden gateposts. The entrance to Rockwater was guarded by more wolfskins, hanging above the gate with their snarling heads facing out into the night. They flopped pathetically when the gates came down. Grindel's cybernetically enhanced muscles and armor servos added to his strength, and he left the gates in shambles behind him. The operation had to look as though a monster had rampaged furiously through the village, even if he was treating the task with less than total enthusiasm. The fleeing guard had alerted some of the partying crowd, and there was added confusion to the noise within the village as some people rushed to respond to the unknown threat, and some continued to party, unawares. One warrior, more quick-witted or less drunk than the others, came barreling down the drive to the gate and almost ran right into Grimble. He seized the man, another tall warrior in a gray wolf skin and scraps of metal armor, by the throat, cutting off a cry of surprise and causing him to drop his axe and pistol in the dirt. 
Grindel stomped around the corner, bellowing an incoherent war cry, and crashed into the village center right into the midst of their celebration. A large bonfire had been lit in the space before the great hall, and all around the firelight the villagers were milling about in fear and confusion. He put an end to any doubts they might have had as to what was happening by hurling the hapless man he carried right into the fire and out the other side, knocking aside torches, burning logs, and barrels of beer. Panic and chaos exploded through the village, and the people scattered in every direction, just like the sparks thrown up by the fire. Grindel roared another challenge and waded forward into ah! the melee. The men and women of the Great Lakes might call themselves raiders, reavers, or even vikings, but they still scattered in terror when a monster crashed their party. Grindel lashed out left and right with his maul, felling villagers with every blow and shrouding himself in a haze of gunsmoke from the discharging shotgun shells. He seized a beer barrel and hurled it, knocking one man through the wall and the house behind him, then took a frag grenade from a pouch on his chest and rolled it casually towards the largest crowd of villagers. It detonated with a crumb and sent shredded bodies and severed limbs flying through the night. Grindel paused to let the effect of the grenade resonate for a moment, surveying the carnage he had wrought and giving any survivors the chance to run before turning to face the doors of the Great Hall. Burn it! Bloodplay! He shouted through his helmet amps. Face me now and pay for your sins! After a moment, the heavy doors banged open and the Chief of Rockwater emerged to face him, flanked by a handful of more fierce-looking warriors. Vernon Bloodblade was tall and thin with long blonde mustaches, a fine suit of mutant snakeskin armor, and a long heavy sword held across his shoulder. He was distinguished from the other warriors by his commanding presence and obvious authority, and the three snarling wolf heads draped across his shoulders where most of the other warriors only wore one. He saw the destruction Grindel had wreaked upon the village and his people, and paled, but he held the intruder's gaze. I'll kill you for this, monster! You are already dead, fool! Grindel pointed his maul at Bloodblade. You have trespassed and brought the wrath of the gods upon your people! He took a step forward, heedless of the blades and a half dozen gun barrels pointed at him. Kill it! The chief screamed and there was a deafening storm of gunfire. The storm shield system on Grindel's armor backpack activated on him, spitting arcs of lightning from a spinning chrome spear which intercepted and incinerated every incoming bullet in a shower of sparks. He ignored the fuselage and closed the distance between himself and the doors to the hall, causing the chief and his bodyguards to stumble backwards and crowd closer together. Stand back, chief! Someone else shouted, and a new figure emerged from inside the hall. It was a druid or a sorcerer of some sort, clad in thick furs and wearing no armor, but with a tall crown of antlers on her shaggy head. She shoved to the front of the group, placing herself between Grindel and her chief. The poisonous green fire that burned in the woman's eyes and gathered between her fingers confirmed to Grindel that this was no village herbalist or false mystic. This druid had a true connection with the radiation that pervaded the world, and a powerful one. Abandoning his menacing advance and shotgun maul, which was more frightening than truly effective in combat, Grindel raised his hand and triggered the six-barreled minigun built into the armor of his right arm. A potent radiation sorcerer could melt through even his heavy armor and strip him down to a glowing skeleton if he wasn't careful, and Grendel meant to give her no chance. He mashed the firing stud on his gauntlet, and the six barrels roared to life, ripping the knight with a death. 
The conjured energy in the druid's hands leapt out to meet the bullets, intercepting Grindel's fire like a going storm shield. But only for a moment. The high rate of fire from the minigun overwhelmed the druid's magic in a second. Splashes of sizzling green energy burst out from the failing spell, and Grindel's weapon tore the woman to shreds. The raider chief and his other warriors staggered back, ducking away from the hail of bullets. A few still had some fight left in them, but Grindel shrugged off their harmless blows before striking again with his maul. A tall woman with a two-headed axe went down screaming, her arm nearly severed by a mace blow. As she fell, Grindel stepped past her, caught the spear of another warrior as he thrust forward, and threw the man around to crash into his fellows, knocking several to the ground. Vernon Bloodblade stood firm, facing Grindel with his sword at the ready. The man was no coward, Grindel had to give him that. But he was also no match for a centuries-old killer cyborg in 200 pounds of armor plating. When the raider chieftain swung his sword at Grindel's head, Grindel blocked the blow easily on his armored forearm, then exploited the opening with a quick punch to Vernon's face. Grindel felt bones shatter against his armored fist, and heard several dislodged teeth clatter off his helmet and chest armor. Chief Vernon collapsed in a heap, and Grindel put an end to the battle by casually spraying the last hundred rounds from his minigun into a tangle of warriors still trying to find their feet. He didn't know if they had all been killed for sure, but none of them got back up and a quiet descended on Rockwater as the echo of gunshots faded. Only the licking flames and the whimpering moans of the wounded and dying rose above the night breeze off the lake. Chief Vernon was still alive, but barely conscious when Grindel seized him by the hair and pulled him to his feet. With implacable strength, Grindel tore the head from Vernon's body, found the chief's long sword and stuck it in the ground before the Great Hall, and impaled the chief's severed head on the decorated hilt. Lastly, Grindel knocked over a few more torches and kicked logs from the bonfire to start more blazes around the village before detonating a smoke grenade and retreating back into the woods along the coastline. Vernon Bloodblade and his warriors had spent the late summer raiding up and down Lake Michigan, burning other villages and returning to Rockwater with the spoils of their victories. Normally, this wouldn't have gained any interest from the task force. It was how most of the humans in Gamma Mutant communities survived in the region. However, on their last voyage of the season, Vernon had led his followers to some islands in the northern waters that were used as training grounds and supply depots for Aesir agents. Recon drones had surveilled Vernon and his wolf raiders as they broke into several bunkers and gleefully carried off the cases of ammunition and supplies they found within. Task Force operations and facilities were top secret, and it was unacceptable that one of the Neo-Viking chiefs was going around boasting and displaying the treasure he had looted from restricted islands. So Asgard had ordered Grendel to Rockwater, with orders to publicly execute Chief Vernon and spread terror to anyone who thought of repeating his exploits. To that end, Grendel had deliberately not bothered killing the whole village, allowing plenty of time for most of them to flee. He hadn't even taken the time to confirm his kills except in the case of Vernon himself. The survivors would spread the tale of a monster that emerged from darkness on the night of their celebration, who was immune to axes and gunfire, and that tore the head from their chieftain before vanishing again. If anyone dared to return to Rockwater, they would find Vernon Bloodblade's head stuck on his own sword outside the smoldering remains of the burned hall. All of this was to spread the idea among the people of the Great Lakes that there were certain places forbidden to them, and that trespassing or getting too greedy on their raids would invoke the wrath of the gods. Agent Grindel had been performing these operations for decades, so long in fact that he hardly remembered anything from the time before he joined the task force. 
He was old enough that he should have remembered the old world, the time before the great solar cataclysm and the years of war and collapse that had followed, but he barely did anymore. Back then, Grendel had been someone else, a normal man with a different name he had long since forgotten. He remembered the experiments he had agreed to, the excruciating pain of the surgeries and bionic enhancements that had made him into the superhuman warrior he was now, but hardly anything from before. He had fought for the United States until the United States no longer existed. After the collapse, he had found himself part of the federal mandate for continuity, and eventually joined the regional agency that would become Task Force Aesir in the Great Lakes. His commanders had been quick to recognize his potential as they organized their resources to retain control over the post-cataclysm world, and he had begun carrying out missions almost at once. Grendel idly wondered how long he had been playing the monster, before deciding that he didn't really care. After fighting other people's wars for two centuries, it was hard to care all that much about anything. He trudged through the steadily lightning woods, making for one of his safe houses. As secret bases went, it wasn't much, just a hidden cave in a ravine near a swamp, where he kept a few cases of supplies, but it was home to him, or at least a place he could rest. Dawn was finally breaking, and he was looking forward to a meal and then entering his medical hibernation state for several weeks. His helmet radio crackled to life. A sharp-sounding woman's voice said, Agent Grendel, this is Asgard. Do you copy? He groaned and manipulated a few controls on the console mounted on his wrist armor, which Task Force agents called a multi-tool. Asgard was the call sign for Task Force Aesir Operational Command, and he had forgotten to check in after the Rockwater mission. It seemed his pervasive boredom was affecting his operational procedures. He keyed his mic and said, Asgard, this is Grendel. Solid copy, over. Requesting a side rep on Rockwater, Agent Grendel. Your transponder indicates that you are not at the objective, over. Rockwater mission is complete, Asgard. Target eliminated. Exfilled without pursuit of complications. Situation normal. Returning to a secure location now. Negative, Agent Grindle. The Asgard radio operator said quickly. You have new orders. Grindle grunted yeah. to himself but said nothing, waiting for Asgard to continue. After a moment, she obliged. You are to proceed with best possible speed to a point approximately 50 clicks inland from your position near the intersection of US-131 and M-55. Precise grid location to be transmitted to your multi-tool, where you will find the entrance to a concealed bunker. How copy? Understood, Asgard. Once on site, what's the objective? The bunker is the last known position of another ACR agent. This agent has missed multiple radio check-ins and was in custody of a high-priority package. Your mission is to get to a side rep to own the agent and recover the package if necessary. Roger that, Asgard. Grindel said wearily. Any additional intel on the agent or package? Agent's call sign is Brock, an undercover tech recovery asset. She paused for a moment as though checking with someone else on her end before adding. No additional information on the package, Grendel. That's a need to know. And I don't, Grendel said, annoyed. Rogue agent recoveries outside my mission parameters, Asgard. And you won't tell me what he's carrying? Maintain proper radio etiquette on this channel, Agent Grendel. Asgard said sharply. And your transponder shows that you are currently our nearest asset to the objective. This is coming directly from Allfather. So just get over there, get a side rep, and report back. Acknowledged? Solid copy, Asgard. Grindel sighed. In route now. 
He checked the screen on his multi-tool, paging over to a status display for his armor before keying his mic again. Asgard! Questing resupply before stepping off. He had only a single frag grenade left, and no ammunition at all for the minigun mounted on his right arm, having expended the last of his 5.56mm bullets during his attack on Rockwater. He still had a handful of shotgun shells for his maul, but none of the 30mm shells that fed the cannon in his left arm, and the 45 caliber sidearm holstered at the small of his back was down to its last magazine. He'd been running low for months, relying on the fear he inspired and the protection of his armor to make up for his lack of weaponry in a fight. Wait one, Grendel, said the radio operator. He waited, looking at the empty ammo readouts on the multi-tool's little screen. That's a negative on your resupply. Asgard came back after a minute or so. There's no time to divert a drone to your position. Make tracks for an objective. Brock immediately. Over. <sighs> Roger that, Asgard. Great coordinates should be on your multi-tool now. Asgard out. The channel went silent. His multi-tool beeped to indicate a new message, and he opened the grid coordinates to the secret bunker entrance. There was nothing else to do and no reason to delay, so he set his helmet display to show a nav marker for the objective, and set off into the woods at a quick march. It took Grendel about eight hours to cover the 50 kilometers and reach the objective location. He slogged through wetlands, forest, and over the crumbling remains of roads. It was past noon when he arrived, and the sun had begun to sink quickly in the late summer afternoon. The grid coordinates had led him to a spot where the forest had given way to fields of wild grass and scrub, in between the intersections of several major and minor roadways. A small, oddly-shaped hill rose out of the field, with one gently sloping face and one flat and smooth, rising straight up from the ground. As Grindel circled the point, he saw that the flat face of the hillside was actually a man-made wall, with two large garage doors that opened into the interior of the hill. Or rather, they had opened into the interior of the hill. Both doors now lay in ruin, metal sections shredded and strewn about the now gaping entries, as though blown apart by a massive explosion. Not so concealed anymore, Grendel thought as he inspected the wreckage. Then he keyed his radio and said, Asgard, this is Grendel. I read you, Agent Grendel. Go for Asgard. I've reached the objective, observing signs of damage to the facility. Proceeding inside now. He primed his storm shield system, hefted his maul, and went inside. His immediate impression was that this was no bunker at all. It looked more like a storage facility of some kind, or a garage, left over from the age before the Cataclysm. Grindel supposed it had been used to house some sort of emergency or utility vehicles, maybe snowplow trucks for the surrounding roads, before it had been claimed by Agent Brock. The large vehicle bays built into the hillside were now crowded with pieces of electronic and industrial equipment. It had been stored neatly in benches and chests, but was now all scattered across the floor, as if by the same force that had destroyed the doors. One side of the bay was devoted to a number of lifts and cranes, which looked like they were used to suspend a large vehicle or piece of machinery while it was being worked on. Grindle moved deeper into the bay, activating the floodlights on his chest, curious about the assembly of lifts. He thought he could see broken pieces of chain dangling from the arms, but he was distracted when his lights revealed something else on the floor in front of him. There was a dark pool of dried blood with a severed human arm lying curled beside it. That can't be good for Agent Brock, he said to himself. Grindel panned his lights along the floor, following the splattered blood until he found the rest of Agent Brock, slumped against the wall and clearly dead. He was a short man, with shaggy hair and beard, and wearing a well-used leather apron like a blacksmith's. 
His right arm ended in a ripped-off stump, and a Mandate Agent multi-tool was strapped to his belt, identifying him as the object of Grendel's search. Asgard, this is Grendel. He said. I've located Agent Brock. Status is K-I-A. A moment passed before Asgard responded. When she did, she said, Roger that, Agent Grendel. Please confirm target via helmet cam. His multi-tool beeped, showing a request from headquarters to access his helmet's mission camera. He activated the camera and acknowledged the request, framing the dead body clearly in the center of his field of view and ensuring the lights were on it. Receiving footage, said the Asgard operator. Wait one. There was another moment of dead air, followed by a different voice saying, God damn it and then an indistinct scuffling before a new voice spoke in his ear. Agent Grendel, this is all Father Actual. Do you read me? Grendel stiffened. The commanding officer of Task Force Aesir contacting him directly had never happened before. At least not in the last 70 years or so he could still remember clearly. I read you all, Father. He said briskly. Send your traffic, over. Agent Grendel, I'm going to keep an eye on your helmet feed while you show me what's going on over there. Now can you tell me how long Brock's been dead? Grindel leaned in to get a closer look. Disturbed flies buzzed around his sunken face and he could see maggots writhing in the arm stump and in some other wounds he had not noticed right away. All father, looks like a few days at least, maybe a week. Started to rot and already there's signs of carrion. Over. That matches our last radio contact, sir. Said the female radio operator. Sure does. Said all father actual. At least it's good to know he wasn't ducking my calls on purpose. He had a good reason. Alright, Grendel. Look around the rest of his shop there. We need to find that package. Point of order, Allfather. Uh, what's the package I'm looking for? Allfather growled in frustration. That's need to know. But I guess you do need to know now. You were looking for a computer hard drive. About 6 inches square by 12 inches. Should be in some sort of case. And it better still fucking be there. Grendel set to work, turfing through the trashed workshop and rummaging through the heaps of tools, equipment, and broken machinery scattered everywhere. There were the remains of several different computer systems, but none of them were what they were after. Allfather watched his every move through his helmet camera, occasionally interjecting over the radio with questions or specific instructions. Hang on. Allfather said as Grindel tossed aside a roll of torn diagrams. What's that you've got there? Grindel unrolled the sheet of blueprint paper to reveal a technical diagram for some sort of radio transmitter. Looks like he was, uh, working on something, Grindel said, holding the sheet up and ensuring his helmet cam captured the whole image. Modifications to a field radio. You! Snapped Allfather to someone on his end. Freeze that image and figure out what Brock was doing. You, Grendel. You keep looking. He moved back over to the system of chains and lifting arms, wondering to himself what had been hanging there before whatever had happened that tore the place apart. He had a vague feeling that he didn't actually want to find out, but even that apprehension was better than the pervasive apathy he had been feeling. Around the scaffolding he noticed a different sort of debris. There were a great deal of empty crates and packages among the mess. Some were crudely made from recently cut wood, some were scavenged barrels and boxes, and a few were even pristine pre-cataclysm military packing containers that looked as though they had been undisturbed for a century. Grindel's feeling of trepidation increased as he examined one such container. A long box of hardened plastic with a U.S. Army stamp on the lid and a distinctive shape cut into the cushioning foam inside the package. 
He picked up the crumpled contents manifest from beside the empty case, an idea of what had happened taking shape in his mind. As he suspected, the case had contained an M134 minigun, a larger cousin of the XM556 mounted in his own armor that was usually mounted on combat vehicles. Grendel poked around some more and uncovered several other weapons crates, the remains of 7.62mm ammunition packaging, and a crushed barrel with fertilizer-based homemade explosives residue inside. The torn safety packaging from some pre-cataclysm nuclear batteries, just the kind that powered his armor, and boxes for countless machine parts. All Father Actual, are you seeing my feed? He said. What have you got, Grendel? Looks like Agent Brock was building something. He paused to flip over another sheet of blueprints. Yes, sir, look here. He's building a robot. The blueprints showed assembly instructions for a tall, multi-limbed robot, apparently called a General Dynamics Tyrant droid, according to the make and model information in the corner of the page. A hazy memory, which Grindle had not known he still had, rose to the front of his mind. He remembered seeing tyrants before, several of them, ten feet tall and stalking implacably across a forgotten battlefield, spewing bullets and lasers in all directions. He couldn't remember where or when or what war he had been fighting, but it gave him another new feeling to go with his mild apprehension. This one was down deep in his guts and it took him a second to recognize it as fear. Grindel hadn't felt fear for a century or more, but he had felt it back on that ancient battlefield. Tyrants were the pinnacle of automated anti-infantry weapon systems, and Agent Brock could hardly have salvaged something worse to let loose on the region. Fuck damn it. Swore Allfather. Grendel! Hold that blueprint up. There were other marks across the instructional diagram, added in what Grendel assumed was Agent Brock's own hand. He recognized some of the notations from the modified radio design he had seen earlier, and another mark indicated a slot on the robot's chassis. It was circled, along with the letters CPU and a question mark. On the radio, Grendel could hear Allfather cussing some more and barking orders to other agents in whatever control room he was sitting in. Grendel waited until Allfather addressed him again. Alright, Grendel. I guess you need to know the whole story. Grendel rolled his eyes for his own benefit, but said, I read you, Allfather. <sighs> About two weeks ago, Agent Brock acquired a data storage device that we believed was a fragment of the catastrophic response strategic control intelligence. The knot of fear in Grendel's stomach gave a little twist. Allfather continued, We knew about this. And he was supposed to verify its authenticity before arranging a handoff to someone from Asgard. From the looks of things, it was authentic. And that was unlucky as shit for him. <sighs> My data wonks say that transmitter diagram is a device that lets you broadcast information using directed radiation. The idiot must have been trying to talk to the backup drive. Give it away to communicate. And he ended up giving a killer AI a mind control radio. It must have forced Brock to build it a new body, then killed him on his way out the door. Confirm your last, Allfather. Did you say the catastrophic response? Yes, Agent. It's a castraticon. It's back. Or at least a piece of it is. Castraticon was the more widely used name for the killer AI network that had tried to conquer the world during the last Great War. The last one before the world truly ended. 
It had controlled a network of deadly military hardware, used covert agents to raise an army of humans and mutants, and even mastered the manipulation of radiation energy that people now called magic. Pieces of memory splashed across Grendel's mind like rain on a windshield, and he remembered fighting killer robots and fanatical mutants while the last remnants of the pre-cataclysm world crumbled around him. Allfather was still speaking, and Grendel refocused his mind with an effort. What I need from you, Agent, is for you to find this robot and take it down immediately. I'm scrambling recon drones to your area, and you'll have close air support on station once you have the bot's position. Roger that, Allfather, Grendel said, shaking his distracted mind back into combat mode. I need your request a resupply again, however, on completely Winchester. Fucking hell, Grendel. You know that's not my job. You! Allfather shouted to someone else. Get him a resupply drone. Whatever he needs. And some extras, even if he doesn't. Now, Agent. He addressed Grendel again. Get outside and see if you can find any tracks. Give me an idea which way this thing went so I know where to send your air Grindle hustled back out through the ruined garage doors and cast about in the field beside the bunker. Looks like plenty of tracks, he said. Human or maybe gammas. Way more than one agent running this shop alone. The operator for the Asgard call sign came back on his radio. Agent Brock ran his bunker as a trading post for the area, posing as a vendor. I have previous reports from him stating that he frequently did business with the tribe of Gammas to the north of your position. I have drag marks on the ground here, said Grendel, pointing them out. Drag marks leading to the garage. Plenty of footprints. Gammas might have helped Brock gather his materials. If they did, said Allfather, the robot might remember them. It killed Brock. Maybe it went to kill them too. Grindle moved to the north of the bunker hill, looking closely for tracks or trails through the grass. Got something here. Deep gouges scarred the soft earth, leading from Brock's bunker away to the north. Grindle could clearly imagine the tyrant droid's spider-like limbs tearing up the earth like post hole diggers as it scuttled away. Alright. Agent Grindle, looks like that's where you're going. Asgard, what can you tell him about the train north of there? Open fields and roadways for ten clicks, said Asgard. Then a belt of forest, and on the other side there's a large ruin of some kind. Surveillance images look like there's some sort of industrial park, a lot of warehouses, pipelines, smokestacks, that sort of thing. Looks like that may be where the local Gamma's tribe lives. You heard her, Grendel. That's your target. Recon those ruins, find the tyrant, and take it down. I'll get you your resupply on the way there. And... You'll have air support as soon as you get eyes on the bot. Copy that, Allfather. In route now. One more thing, Agent Grendel. Said Allfather Actual. Yes, Allfather. Destroy the droid, but recover the Castraticon hard drive. Is that understood? Grendel swallowed. The feeling in his guts had moved upwards, causing him discomfort in his throat. Is that understood, Agent? Solid copy, Allfather. Destroy the droid. Recover the hard drive. I'll father out. Grindle set off at a faster pace than before. The dread name of Castraticon had the power to invoke fear, even in him, but he had already decided that he was enjoying the sensation. Before his mind had been like a blade that had gone dull, 
but now it was freshly sharpened, and a part of Grendel was delighting in the renewed feeling. A burst of energy had suffused his body, and he was moving with renewed purpose. That morning he had been thoroughly disinterested in everything, and now he hurried eagerly towards battle. He was still uneasy about his orders to recover the fragment of Castraticon and not destroy it, against all good sense. However, he had resolved not to think about that part of the mission. He had other things to worry about first, and he decided that the feeling of real fear and excitement was worth the risk ahead. Asgard contacted Grindel again after about an hour, and directed him to deviate a kilometer off his current heading. He followed Asgard's instructions and saw a low-flying quadcopter drone drop a heavy crate with a parachute and a yellow smoke grenade taped to the side, leaving a trail in the sky. That's your resupply, Agent Grindel, said Asgard. Refit yourself and get back on the move. He acknowledged and followed the slowly descending package until it landed beside a small stream. Then Grindel tore the flimsy box apart and quickly sorted through his new gear, pleased to see that Asgard had not scrimped at all when ordering his supplies. There was a box of micro-grenade shotgun shells, which he swapped with the buckshot ammo studding the head of his mace. Then he unpacked a 2,000-round can of linked 5.56 rounds for his minigun, and a belt of 96 30mm high-explosive shells for the cannon on his other arm. He strapped the fresh ammo to the sides of his generator backpack, running the linked belts through the flexible feeds that ran along his arms to his wrist-mounted weapons, and priming them both. Next, there were a dozen loaded magazines for his sidearm, and a straw-packed box of frag grenades. Grindel loaded them all into the pouches on his belt and chest straps, and opened the armor system's display on his multi-tool. He quickly reset the ammo counters, syncing the system with his arm-mounted guns and the targeting system in his helmet so that the visor would display real-time ammunition counts. Lastly, Grendel tightened all the straps and buckles, jumped up and down a few times to test his new loadout was secure, and set off again on a steady lope northwards. With a fresh load in all his guns, Grendel felt invincible. He was back at his prime now, no longer just a malcontent monster that emerged from the woods to scare villagers. He was an unstoppable killing machine again, and Castraticon was about to learn that there was only room for one unstoppable killing machine in this neck of the woods. His renewed sense of apprehension and fear were carrying him along and lending him speed like a turbo for an engine, and before long he was actually running to get to grips with the enemy. He was so intense on his headlong rush that he didn't see the first mutant until after it had shot him. A rifle shot rang out, and Grindel's storm shield system came to life instantly. The lightning bolt that leapt out to meet the bullet was nearly invisible in the afternoon sunlight, and the shower of sparks had fallen to the grass before Grindel registered what had happened. The echo of a gunshot rolled away across the fields. Fortunately, the storm shield tracked the direction of incoming fire and painted a threat marker on Grindel's helmet display compass. As soon as he realized what had happened, he swung his right arm around, holding it level with the tops of the bushes, and ripped off a quick burst from the minigun. His shots kicked up plumes of soft earth and chunks of vegetation in a long line that stitched right through where he thought the shot had come from. No more shots sounded as he advanced, pushing aside the scrub growth until he found his target. A gamma mutant lay sprawled in the mud, several bullet holes in his neck and torso, and a spray of blood and guts coating the vegetation behind his firing position. The mutant had novelly blue-green skin and lean muscles under a camouflaged poncho of a pre-cataclysm military style. Under the poncho he was dressed in furs and skins with a necklace of small animal skulls. A much-repaired hunting rifle hung from his limped hands, which Grindel kicked aside in case the mutant warrior was faking, though there didn't seem to be much chance of that. It seemed the threat was neutralized, but that raised another question. 
He had assumed the Castraticon droid had gone on a killing spree through the surrounding countryside, but it seemed as though the mutants were still very much alive, or at least one had been. He explored the area around their brief firefight and was able to pick back up the trail of the Tyrant with ease. The robot had definitely come through here, but there had still been at least one Gamma guarding the outskirts of their territory, and that raised another unsettling possibility. Grindel resumed his march north, but at a much slower pace, constantly scanning all around for threats. Within the hour, he had reached the belt of trees that Asgard had said lay between him and the industrial ruins. The shadows were lengthening as evening came on, and Grindel entered the trees cautiously. The bulk of his armor did not lend itself to stealth, but he was well-practiced at warfare and moved with decisiveness and precision. He moved quickly between boulders, fallen logs, and clearings before stopping to stand in the woods and to the sides. He switched between his magnified helmet visor and a thermal vision filter, searching all around before advancing to the next safe spot he had determined. Soon his patience and caution paid off when he saw a group of Gamma Warriors moving through the woods to his left. They were too far away and speaking too quietly for even his enhanced senses to pick out their voices, but he could easily tell by watching them that they were on patrol. There were six of them, following an obvious leader on a circuitous route that kept them off the trail but allowed them a good view of it. Fortunately, Grindel had been doing the same thing, or the mutants would have seen him come bumbling up the trail. As it was, he had been able to spot them first with his superior optics, and he could now choose where he wanted the engagement to go. The mutants were all tall, lean, and muscular, with tough hides that ranged from toxic green in color to a deep bruised purple. They were dressed like the first one he had shot, ragged furs and ornaments of bone, and they carried a variety of blades, bows, and firearms, holding the weapons like they knew how to use them. They were keeping deliberate dispersion between each other, a patrol tactic to avoid being taken out by explosives, and they were constantly scanning all around and turning to check behind them and keep sight of each other through the trees. They clearly knew their business, and even though they hadn't seen Grendel yet, they soon would. Before they could find him and take control of the engagement, Grendel took action. He slid from behind cover and circled part of the way around the enemy patrol. He couldn't help the noise he made as his armor broke through the branches and undergrowth, and the mutant patrol froze in their tracks, swiveling to focus on him. He vaulted over a fallen log and let loose with a burst of his 30mm cannon spreading the three shots apart to maximize the effect of the explosive shrapnel. A triple explosion roared through the forest. When it faded, Grendel was rewarded with the pained cries of wounded soldiers. They weren't all down yet, though. Even as clods of dirt and shredded tree bark rained down, an arrow came whizzing out of the trees ahead and clattered off Grendel's shoulder guard. Arrows and other projectiles that didn't move fast enough to trigger his storm shield didn't trouble him, because they definitely weren't moving fast enough to pierce his armor. He laughed loudly <laughs> his helmet ends, trying to scare his enemy into breaking cover. <laughs> Die, coward! He shouted and sprayed the trees with a quick burp from his minigun. He was rewarded with another arrow, but this one struck the tree beside his head and exploded violently, knocking Grindel sideways. Crazy beast! Shouted a guttural voice from somewhere up ahead. I'll kill bigger before! The Gamma Tribes might not have access to caches of pre-cataclysm weapons and ammo, but even barbarians could fashion homemade grenades for their arrow tips. Grendel got back to his feet, only to take another explosive arrow to the shoulder, spinning him around with the force of the blast. A second mutant popped up from behind a tree, raised a pump gun, and started blasting off shells on slam -bomb. Unfortunately for the Gamma with the shotgun, he had counted on Grendel's storm shield which incinerated the hail of lead ball bearings before they could impact, and gave Grendel the opening he needed to acquire the target. The mutant was leaning out to fire, 
exposing his entire upper body which Grindel shredded with a burst of minigun rounds. Then, just as Grindel had opened fire, Mutant with the bow popped up to take a third shot, finally revealing himself. Still firing, Grindel swept his gun sideways and cut the archer in half with a stream of bullets. He waited for a few seconds, flames licking the branches around him from a storm shield lightning. When nothing else happened, he pushed forward to where the enemy patrol had been. They were all dead, strewn across the forest floor, and looked as though his initial burst of explosive shells had taken out four of the patrol, and the archer and the shotgunner had been the only survivors. Satisfied, Grindel explored the woods around their battle until he picked up the mutant's trail. If Grindel was right, the mutants were now working with the Castraticon bot. The path of their patrol would lead him right back to where he needed to be. He set off again through the woods. The Gammas had left a clear trail to follow, and according to Grendel's compass, he was right on track. Suddenly, there was a burst of static on his radio that resolved into a strange squeal of rising and falling sounds. He thought at first it was a call from Asgard or Alfond, but there was no voice or anyone receiving on the other end. It also jumped between frequencies, as though trying to find something. He tried turning his earpiece volume down, but the interference persisted until he unsealed his helmet to fiddle with the earpiece manually and immediately felt some power come over his brain. In an instant, his mind was suffused with powerful compulsion that was not his own. There was buzzing and pulsing behind his eyes like an egregious hangover, but one with a voice. It didn't speak in words, it spoke directly through the synapses in his brain with an irresistible force of command. Patrol the area, it said. Eliminate intruders, maintain combat posture until further notice. Patrol the area. Eliminate intruders. The commands repeated. Grindel nodded to himself, instantly obedient to the voice. Some sublevel of nonverbal communication in his hindbrain was already calculating where he was in relation to the voice and where he should patrol. He put his helmet back on, ready to step off. The voice immediately stopped. There was still a squeal of interference on his radio, but Grindel's mind was his own again. He stood still for a moment, trying to figure out what had just happened. My armor, he thought, running his gauntlet over the rough ballistic material of his helmet. The radiation shielding. It must have been the tyrant droid, he decided, broadcasting Castraticon's mind control signal with the radiation transmitter. It must be close, controlling the gamma mutants from some nearby lair. When Grindel had removed his helmet, he had exposed his brain to the radiation spell emitted by the robot. And when he put it back on, the radiation-hardened armor had blocked the signal again. He was in even greater danger than he realized but he was also pleased to find that he still enjoyed the sensation of fear and rushing adrenaline. It was time to finish this, to close with and destroy the enemy like he'd been doing for 200 years. First, though, he had to warn Asgard. He tried to call it in, to notify command that he was close to the target, but that any unshielded personnel would be vulnerable to a mind control field. Nobody responded, though, so he wasn't sure if his signal was getting through. He re-recorded his warning and set it to loop every 30 seconds on the Aesir Field Agent Emergency Channel. Then he set off again. He encountered two more patrols of mutant gunmen, and chewed through them mercilessly. He made the choice to stop concealing himself and started deliberately breaking through branches and trees, counting on his optics and the firepower of his arm-mounted guns to locate and dispatch the enemy patrols before they could pose a threat. Within another 20 minutes, he reached the remains of a tall fence that had once run all around a wide, flat area crowded with metal towers and long brick buildings, all spread out before him. He crashed through the fence at a point where a stand of younger trees pushed the fence posts aside, and burst into the ruins of the industrial park with a roar from his helmet amps set to max volume. 
He was rewarded almost at once by the clanging and whooping of several different alarms as the Amazon lookout saw him and called for reinforcements. Inside his helmet, Grendel grinned. It was just like Rockwater. He was a monster from the very nightmares of these backwards fools. A physical manifestation of terror and death, and he reveled in that power. Mind-controlled mutants rushed to challenge him or crowded into good firing positions on the rooftops or around corners. They peppered him with gunfire and did their damnedest to stab, chop, and beat him through his arm. Grindle was breathed in a nearly constant crackle of lightning bolts, and even when the storm shield let a bullet through, he was able to take it on his armor and launch a lethal counterattack without concern. He used his 30mm cannon to destroy their cover or break up the gunmen when they foolishly crowded together, and when they broke cover, he shredded them with bursts from he walked heedlessly through bursting grenades and pipe bombs, shrugging off the shrapnel like raindrops, and occasionally pausing to toss one of his own grenades through a window or doorway, where more assailants were waiting to ambush him as he passed. When the Gammas fought him face to face, he pulled no punches. He blocked their clubs and axes with his armored forearms held up defensively like a boxer, and lashed out with lightning-fast punches and blows from his shotgun mace. The new explosive shells blew mutants apart when they detonated and his fists and palm strikes shattered bones and pulverized internal organs. Grindle roared and laughed as he advanced <laughs> to the industrial park, as much to challenge and incense his foes as to express his own enjoyment. He was truly feeling again. His age-old apathy and clinical disinterest in the world was washed away in gun smoke and mutant blood. Before long, his armor system beeped a warning at him that he was down to half his ammo reserves, but the rush of fanatical mind-controlled mutants had started to slow. He didn't know if he had killed them all, if they had fled, or if the malign intelligence controlling them had given them new orders. But he soon found himself alone in the sprawling ruin. The tyrant might be drawing him into a trap, Grindle knew, but he had to push forward. As he went on, he tried to raise Asgard on the radio again, but got no reply, except for the radioactive interference signal. He could have tried harder to establish comms, but he soon found himself in the inhabited interior of the ruins where the mutants had made their home. A shanty town of corrugated metal pieces of plastic siding and roughly cut lumber sprawled at the heart of the industrial park. Trash can fires burned in the alleys between brick warehouses and clotheslines hung from gutters and gantryways. Obviously, this was where the Gammas had made their home, and Grindle had to abandon fiddling with his radio to focus his attention and gun sights on all the potential hiding places. No mutants emerged, though, and no more shots rang out. An uncomfortable quiet had fallen, and Grindle began moving from cover to cover again. He would have liked to roar a challenge, crank his helmet amps to maximum, like when he had faced Fern and Bloodblade the night before, but this was no neo-viking chief he faced now. No brave challenge or injured pride would lure his quarry out, he knew. The fragment of Castraticon was a calculating general, a military genius and a cold-blooded murderer. Grindle knew there was no way to make it do what he wanted, and he was pretty sure that he was playing its game now. The shanty town gave way to something else. Some sort of gamma version of a town square in the ruins. A huge warehouse had once stood near the edge of the mutants' living quarters, but the roof and one wall had long since collapsed. The mutants had cleared away the hips of brick and metal roofing, and the remaining three walls of the long rectangular structure created a semi-enclosed space a bit like an amphitheater. Grendel could see more shacks and scrap structures up against the high walls, and could easily imagine the Gammas holding an open-air market or a holiday gathering inside. He took a step inside the large ruin, and instantly knew he'd made a mistake. A blurt of angry static interrupted the radio interference he'd been hearing, 
and there was a deep rumble from behind him, accompanied by the hiss and squeal of mechanical servos. He turned in time to hear a great crash and see an explosion of masonry as a ten-foot-tall tyrant droid burst through the wall of another smaller warehouse and scuttled menacingly forward, forcing Grindel to retreat several paces. The robot was a towering column of dark steel, with the occasional panel of plate of forest green and desert tan. Agent Grok had obviously had to piece this monstrosity together using materials gathered from a dozen different battlefields and military graveyards but it looked no less lethal for being built from scavenged parts. Its lower section housed a rumbling power plant and was the attachment point for six segmented legs, each the size of a backhoe's excavator arm. Above that section was another armored cylinder, this one bristling with claw arms, cutter torches, and saw blades. Next, stacked like a totem pole, was a weapon module housing a pair of M134 miniguns fed by a massive ammunition drum. Six independent camera eyes swiveled above the gun section, allowing the droid to see in all directions at once, and above the eyes was a bristling array of antennas, transmitters, and other sensors. They sat atop the droid like a crown, along with a 25mm airburst grenade launcher and a targeting laser that looked powerful enough to melt through steel. All the droid's different sections could rotate independently, and they all swiveled to look or point down at Grendel. As the droid loomed before him, the ruin that was the village square seemed to close in around him. The droid had maneuvered Grendel exactly where it had wanted him to be, in an open field of fire enclosed by solid walls, and he had blundered right into it. The tyrant took another menacing step forward, and a dozen Gamma Mutant warriors rushed out from the hole it had made. They crowded around the robot's feet, guns leveled at Grendel, like a pack of wolf cubs waiting for their mother's signal to attack. Grendel cursed himself for his laxity. If he had used his thermal optics, he could have spotted the droid, even through the concealing walls. There was nothing he could do about it now, though. Strangely, the droid hadn't made any other move or opened fire yet, though Grendel could still hear the angry buzzing through his radio. It might have been trying to focus its radiation influence on him again, despite his armor shielding, but he decided to seize the opportunity while it lasted. Planting his feet, Grendel leveled his left arm and fired a dozen rounds from his explosive cannon, aiming at the droid's upper sections. He had meant to take out the optic systems and sensor equipment, but he was disappointed when several flashes of lightning lashed out and detonated the shells before they could impact. Shrapnel sprayed everywhere, but splattered harmlessly off the droid's heavy armor plating. Cursing Agent Brock for building it with its own storm shield system, Grindel turned to run. He was going to have to come at the tyrant with something else. He knew only too well how futile it was to try and penetrate such a shield with small arms fire. Unfortunately. He had no time to formulate a plan. There was another blurt of noise from the droid, like a network modem screeching through a bullhorn, and the mutants leapt into action. He didn't understand the machine noise, and he was shielded from its influence by his armor, but Grindel assumed the tyrant had said something like, Seize him! He realized that they intended to capture him, to hold him down and rip him out of his armor so the fragment of Castraticon could claim him as another slave. That normally wouldn't have troubled Grendel much. He was confident that even unarmored he could fight off a dozen assailants, but most Gamma Mutants and Neo-Viking Barbarians didn't have a tyrant droid backing them up. Grendel tried to make for the nearest wall, intending to put his back against it and force the mutants to come at him from a single direction. The droid followed just behind its minions, and let loose a withering stream of bullets from its twin minions, forcing Grendel to change direction. His own storm shield system could not handle the firepower that the droid was packing, so he swerved to the side and ran the other way. He gained some ground on the mutants, but was again pounded and hidden in by the tyrant's guns. He was trying to keep him in the middle of the open square within the crumbling walls with no cover and nothing to protect his flanks. Trying something different, 
He tried shooting at the mutants instead. They'd have a hard time getting him out of his armor if they were full of bullet holes, Grindel reasoned, as he let loose with both a minigun and the The tyrant reacted at once, scuttling forward so that its spider-like legs crouched over the mutants, keeping them within the protection of the storm field. An umbrella of chain lightning formed around the tall robot as Grindel's gunfire was neutralized. He released the trigger studs and saw with a sinking feeling that his minigun ammo was now down to one-third, though he still had over 50 30mm shells. Switching tactics again, Grindel pulled two frag grenades from his chest rig and tossed them out. Thrown objects weren't fast enough to trigger the storm shield, and they detonated right on target below the droid's legs, tossing mutants to the ground and rocking the ungainly robot where it stood. He seized his moment and sprinted for one of the walls again, this time firing backwards with his hand. The lightning flared again, zapping each shot and detonating it before it found its target. But this time Grindel had counted on that. Smoke and shrapnel filled the space between him and the robot, obscuring his targeting optics for a moment and giving him the window he needed to make some ground. The tyrant began firing anyway, spraying both miniguns and letting loose with its grenade launcher for good measure. The fusillade was off target, but it made up for inaccuracy with volume. His personal storm shield blazed into action, but it was almost instantly overwhelmed. A warning blared in his ears and flashed across his visor display as the shield's power draw threatened to shut down his armor's generator. He cut the shield to keep moving and immediately felt the shrapnel burst pepper his right leg. Flashes of white-hot pain told him the fragments had found flesh, and several heavy 7.62mm rounds slammed through his back and shoulders. He felt one pass clean through his elbow, but kept running. The droid was zeroing in on him, and he reached the wall just as another volley of airburst grenades reached him. He was slammed forward, smashing through the crumbling bricks along with a hail of lethal fragments. Grindel had meant to break through the wall. He was trying to put distance and cover between himself and the tyrant, but he had not meant to be full of holes by the time he got there. Hauling himself to his feet, he was aware of pain all over his body. His helmet display showed injuries and armor damage in a dozen different places, but it also began to fill the bullet holes with medical foam and pump his veins with battle drugs to keep him going. Burning with the combat high, Grindel scrambled away from the hole in the high brick wall and started running again. He heard the shouting mutants and the mechanical lurching of the tyrant still following him, so he sprinted a dozen yards along the wall he had just crashed through before turning and darting between two new buildings. He followed the narrow alleyway to the next open space, and squeezed between some large storage tanks. On the other side, he kept moving, keeping as many obstacles as he could between himself and his pursuers. He didn't have much time, and he had no idea what kind of optics and tracking sensors the tyrant droid possessed, so he knew he had to move quickly. He vaulted over obstacles, cut through abandoned buildings, and hurtled down more alleyways. He moved erratically, but not randomly, taking more right turns than left and deliberately making a wide circle through the industrial ruins. The sounds of his pursuit never faded, but he was able to keep himself quiet and stay ahead of them until he gradually circled around behind them. Soon, he had reversed their positions from before. The tyrant droid and the mutants were moving hurriedly down one of the roads between the faceless buildings, and Grendel was hidden behind a wall, waiting for them to pass. He listened closely, waiting for his moment. Then, when they had almost passed his hiding spot, Grindel took a running start and smashed through another wall right into the midst. Bricks and masonry crumbled around him and he emerged from his hiding spot right beneath the robot's legs. The mutants turned on him at once, weapons raised, and Grindel lunged forward to meet him with a snarl. The tyrant might have been able to intercept his bullets, but there was no defense for a good beating. He swung his explosive maul with both hands, knocking one gamma hard into another and blowing them both to pieces when the explosive shell detonated. 
He grabbed another, dragging his victim with him as the robot tried to move away, but he moved to stay beneath it and smashed the warrior's head against one of the steel legs. The remaining mutants hesitated, and Grindel set to work on the robot. Swinging two-handed again, he slammed his maul against another of the robot's legs. The explosion ripped through an actuator, spraying hydraulic fluid and causing the tyrant to stumble. He reversed his swing, striking the same leg again and severing it with the directed explosion. The tyrant began to topple, scrambling its legs wildly to keep upright and wailing like a siren in its sinister machine language. Grindel didn't give it an inch, moving nimbly to keep underneath its body where its guns couldn't reach, and methodically demolished two more legs. He had expended all the explosive shells on his maul by then, so he clamped his gauntlet down on another leg joint. The tyrant's movement yanked him around, but the strength augmenting servos in his armor helped him keep his grip, and he shoved the handle of his steel mace between the solid steel of the leg segment and the actuator that gave it mobility. He braced against the ground and twisted violently, parting the hydraulics from the leg itself, and then rolled out of the way. Four legs down was too many for the robot, even balancing on the severed stubs. Its optic section swiveled madly and it blasted minigun and grenade fire randomly as it teetered over, and finally crashed to the ground. It wasn't done yet though, and Grindel clambered up onto an armored hull as it lay prostrate in a pile of rubble. Its claw and cutter limbs flailed madly, trying to stop him, but he swatted them aside. He saw the mechanical irises of hostile red-lensed optics were to focus on him, shielded behind heavy armored glass in their swiveling sockets. But he ignored their gaze and kept scrambling until he reached the droid's crown of antennas and sensor arrays. He ripped away the spinning sphere of the storm shield system, throwing that aside in a crackle of electricity. Then he took a moment to inspect the rest of the equipment, located the modified transmitter device he had seen plans for in Deadbrock's lab, and smashed it to pieces with repeated blows from his armored fists. The robot's optical sensors were still rolling madly, expressing a mute fury and hatred for its tormentor. Its guns were still trying vainly to target him, but couldn't traverse far enough in any direction to target itself, so he paid them no mind. Grindel gave a snarl of triumph in the sealed case that housed the deadly CPU component. He dug his fingers under the armor, straining against toughened steel and industrial bolts. He felt his own augmented muscles threaten to pop, and could hear his armor servos squealing in protest, but roared and gave ah! a furious wrench, snapping the heavy plate Inside sat the package Allfather wanted. A rectangular hard drive encased in nondescript black plastic, about six inches square and a foot long, with several plugs attaching it to the inner workings of the tyrant droid. He hesitated for a moment, acutely aware of Allfather's orders to recover the device, but seized with a certainty that he should smash the thing into fragments. He stood over it motionless while the robot shrieked and thrashed impotently before reaching down into the cavity. He yanked the CPU free, and the robot fell still. Eighteen hours later, Grindel was standing on the porch of a dilapidated log cabin, overlooking Lake Michigan from a forested hillside. A black spot was moving through the sky over the water, quickly resolving itself into a pair of black helicopters flying towards him. He noted with satisfaction how close they were. In the hours since his fight with the tyrant, Grindel had experienced a severe adrenaline crash. No doubt it had been exacerbated by the riot of wounds he had suffered, along with the cocktail of combat drugs his armor had pumped through his veins. And that wasn't all. Fatigue he could deal with, but he had also lost his rediscovered sense of urgency, fear, and interest in his own existence. His century-deep apathy had returned with a vengeance, and all he could think of now was getting this handoff over, crawling into a cave, and putting himself in a medical coma for a year. 
The helicopters circled the meeting spot twice, and Grindle saw human soldiers hanging out at the side door, scanning the woods with machine guns. After their circuit, one of the choppers sat down in the grass before the cabin, while the other gained altitude and kept circling. Grindle stepped heavily down the stairs from the rotted porch and went forward. Two figures hopped down from the chopper skids and moved towards him swiftly, panning assault rifles back and forth around the landing zone. One of them raised a hand for Grindle to halt, and he was vaguely interested to see that they were wargs. Grindle had seen the human-animal splices before, sometimes fighting beside them and sometimes against them. They were descendants of other super-soldier programs, different from Grindle's own, but just as deadly in their own way. They looked like wolfmen from ancient pre-cataclysm movies, shirtless bodies rippling with muscle and covered with short fur, lupine eyes surrounded by shaggy hair and beards, pointed ears and dog-like noses, and mouthfuls of yellow fangs. He didn't personally know hardly any of the other task force agents, and he hadn't known any mutants or splices to be members. He wondered at that for a moment, until he saw who was getting out of the helicopter behind them and realized why these especially deadly warriors had been sent to this meeting. A short, wiry man climbed out and walked towards Grindle and the two bodyguards. He was slim, and a full head and shoulders shorter than Grindle, but carried himself with an unmistakable air of authority and command. His gray hair was buzzed short in a traditional pre-cataclysm military cut, and he wore a thin mustache, neatly trimmed to the corners of his hard mouth. His woodland camo fatigues bore the Silver Eagle rank insignia of a pre-cataclysm colonel, and the patch on his shoulders showed the three interlocking triangles of the Valknut. Allfather. Grindle was in no doubt. Grindle was aware that he should stand to attention in the presence of his commanding officer, but his body and armor were both extremely stiff just now. Instead, he inclined his head and said simply, Good afternoon, sir. Afternoon, agent, said Allfather crisply. He motioned to his bodyguards and the two wargs nodded to him, then backed away to keep their eyes and rifle muzzles on the surrounding trees. Bet you didn't expect to see me, huh? I had to come to make sure this clusterfuck actually ended right. No more loose ends. Grindle nodded his horned head in reply. I saw your performance from the air, Allfather said conversationally. Very impressive. Thank you, sir. Damn near lost my voice trying to get you on the radio, but we couldn't cut through the interference. I had a missile drone on station the whole time. I was trying to get you to break contact so you could get a targeting laser on that fucking bot. But it turns out, you didn't need it. No, sir. Mission accomplished. No complications. Yes. Indeed. Off to find another use for that drone, I guess. You, uh, have the package? Allfather gestured to Grendel's hand. His gauntlet was still clutched around the heavy plastic drive. I do, sir. Allfather reached for it and Grendel began to hold out his hand when something made him hesitate. Nothing had changed, but something about the look in Allfather's steely eyes made Grendel feel compelled to clench his fist and shatter the hard drive. Allfather raised his eyebrows, hand still held out. Grindle gave it over, and Allfather cradled it to his chest. Okay, boys, he said, turning at once to his guards. Mount up! We're out of here. The wargs turned and hurried back to the chopper. One hopped behind the mounted gun, while the other stood by waiting for Allfather. The commander gave Grindle a last hard look that seemed to penetrate through his layers of armor plating and radiation shielding. For a moment, he felt as exposed as he had when the fragment of Castraticon had invaded his mind. Then Allfather turned away and jogged back to the helicopter. Till Valhalla, Agent Grendel, he called back over his shoulder. 
the old motto of Task Force Aesir from back when it's still been a part of the intact U.S. military. Tell Valhalla, sir, Grindel said, and raised a hand in farewell. The rotors roared and the helicopters lifted into the sky. The second helicopter fell in beside it, and they both wheeled away, heading back out over the lake to vanish in the sun sparkling on the water. Grindel watched them go until he lost sight of them, then turned away. His apathy was greater than ever, and irritated now by the nagging question of what Allfather meant to do with a fragment of Castraticon. He was too tired to puzzle over it now, though, and he was on the point of bringing up a map on his multi-tool to find the nearest safe house, when another noise reached his ears. For a second, he thought the helicopters were returning, but the sound was wrong. It was higher, and coming from the wrong direction. He scanned the sky, setting his helmet optics to the maximum zoom, and soon spotted it. Coming in fast and low from the south was the ugly, wide-wing profile of an attack drone, several missiles hanging from hardpoints close to the body. As he watched, one of the missiles dropped and roared to life, and Grindel realized what Allfather had meant by loose ends on this operation. Whatever Allfather planned to use the piece of Castraticon for, he didn't need anyone knowing about it. There were probably a dozen other agents and operatives back at headquarters who had earned a bullet in the back of their heads for their unwitting participation in this incident. Grindel turned and ran, making it only three steps toward the completely inadequate cover of the old cabin, before the missile slammed him. A massive fireball erupted across the hillside, consuming the landing zone, the cabin, and Grindel himself. The echo of the explosion rolled across the lake, and then silence fell across the forest. Hours later, after the sun had sank completely and the sounds of night birds and buzzing insects filled the night air, a different sound came weakly from the impact crater. There was a crunching of charcoal and burnt wood, followed by a grunt of agony and exertion. One of the smoldering logs that had once been a cabin moved feebly, and then was rolled aside. Grindel, or what was left of him, let his arm drop in exhaustion. His armor had been almost completely burned away, his skin was scorched down to the bone in several places, and his right arm was missing at the shoulder. Even so, Grindel was able to take a deep breath and relish the cool night air on his burned face. He surpassed even himself with how hard he was to kill, but his bionic muscle enhancements and artificial organs stubbornly held his flesh together. The deadly attack and his ludicrous survival renewed the sensations of fear and the thrill of living that he had been lacking for so long. Even better, Grindel now had a real purpose in the world, something he hadn't had for an age. He didn't care about the task force, following orders, or completing missions anymore. He didn't even care about Castraticon or what Allfather meant to do with it. All he cared about now was vengeance. It was a blazing fury inside him now, and despite his burnt flesh and missing arm, felt spectacular.